Hello, welcome to episode 21 of Utica College's BioCareer Cast, where we focus on career topics with the goal of giving career tips and advice to students in less than 30 minutes. My name is Sue Rogoshke, and I am a career coach in the Jeremy C. Thurston Center for Career Readiness at Utica University. The time to start planning for tomorrow is today. Career now, not later. Our topic today is college to, to career, and our guest in the hot seat is Lindsay Pollack. Lindsay is a New York Times bestselling author and one of the world's leading career and workplace experts. She is passionate about helping individuals and organizations navigate and thrive in the ever-changing world of work. Lindsay was named to the 2020 Thinkers 50 radar list, which honors the top global management thinkers whose work is shaping the future of how organizations are managed and led. Her latest book is a response to the COVID crisis, Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. Her previous book, The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace, was named a book of the month by both the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times. She is also the author of two career advice books for young professional, pay attention here, Becoming the Boss, New Rules for the Next Generation of Leaders and Getting from College to Career, Your Essential Guide to, to Succeeding in the Real World. Lindsay's speaking audiences and consulting clients have included more than 250 corporations, law firms, conferences, and universities. That's actually where I first met Lindsay at a conference. She was one of the keynote speakers. And her advice and opinions have appeared in such media outlets as the Today Show, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, and NPR. She is also a graduate of Yale University. With all that, thank you, Lindsay, for joining us. If you could just start today with just, you know, introducing yourself as far as why you're so passionate about college to career. Thank you so much for having me, Sue, and everybody listening today. Um, so that was all a fancy long bio. I hope we didn't use up all of the 30 minutes, but the, the fact that I should have added is the reason I do all of this is that I was an RA. In college, my senior year, I was uh, what we called a freshman counselor at my school, and I absolutely loved mentoring the younger students and in particular kind of turning all of my mistakes and challenges into information that they could use. So when I graduated, I struggled to figure out my career path. I took a few years to really kind of do it. I ended up at a startup that I loved, but it went bankrupt, so I ended up unemployed again. And that's when I started my own business. And my goal was really to give workshops and put out content for college students trying to make their career transition. And when I wrote Getting From College to Career, my entire mission, as it still is today, was to answer all the questions I had when I was making that transition and try to smooth the path of people who came after me. And as I've advanced in my career, I have always tried to use the lessons I had to help the people who are a couple steps behind me. I did not realize that you were an RA. Yeah. You know, I feel very strongly with our RA population here that they too have that same passion that they just want to, you know, help. And, you know, they're always the ones on campus that they're like the quiet leaders that everyone kind of goes to. So it's interesting to see where they end up. 
So if you could spend five minutes with every student currently in college, what advice would you give them? I, you know, you gave me some of these questions in advance and I, I thought a lot about this. And, and it's funny because um, I recently wrote a book called Recalculating for people who want to maybe change careers or, or rethink their careers after the pandemic. And I think my advice is the same for anybody in a moment of transition or uncertainty or exploration. And I think the message is take action. And what I mean by that is I think the biggest mistake that I made when I graduated from college, I went to grad school and I kind of sat in my bedroom and tried to think my way through what to do with my career. And I will tell you that that was a bad strategy because you can't figure this stuff out in your head. You have to go and try it. So whether that is having coffee with somebody who works in the industry, you're considering applying for a bunch of jobs, getting an interview and saying, oh my gosh, I really don't want this job that I'm interviewing for. Um, taking a job that ends up not being great and realizing that you wanna change, doing an internship, working part-time, temping. I think even now, you know, I'm looking for a new office space. And instead of thinking about what neighborhood I wanted to, I started looking at offices and going to the office and seeing how the commute was and checking it out and going in the elevator. So whatever it is that you want, or even if you're not sure, don't sit and think through it. And thinking is great, but at the end of the day, you've got to take even the tiniest step towards checking it out. So whatever you can do to have experiential opportunities, I think is absolutely the only way to move forward and make decisions. So get out of your head and get things onto your to-do list would be my main message. Oh, I love that. And it's, it's so common for people to just to like look inner, inward, which you need to do, but you have to do something. You have to go and try it. I, I love that. So what about those students that are struggling with their academics or maybe something in their personal life since every, everything intersects? I mean, how do you get them motivated to go out there and do something? This has been so common with the pandemic. Um, I think the word languishing has been used a lot by uh, Dr. Adam Grant out of Penn. And, and I feel that, everybody feels that. What do you do when you don't wanna do anything? You know, if you know the right things to do. And I think it ultimately is about baby steps, right? What is the smallest action that you can take to move forward on your goals? And I mean, teeny tiny steps. Maybe it's not submitting an application. Maybe it's updating one bullet point. Um, on your resume. I think that's so important. I think mental health is incredibly important. I wish I had addressed this earlier than I did. I absolutely go to therapy. I take medication for anxiety. I meditate every day. I've found things that work for me to kind of make sure that I'm okay as much as possible on the inside. Um, and I think the other piece on things like grades and activities, maybe you've quit a couple of things, maybe you didn't sort of achieve what it is that you wanted is I'm a really strong believer in strengths. And everybody has strengths, whether you look at Clifton strengths or Gallup or Myers-Briggs personality type. Um, I'm a spokesperson for a company called Capfinity that does a strengths profile. The idea is everybody has things that they're good at. And oftentimes it comes so naturally to you that you might not even realize it's a strength. For instance, I knew someone who became a social worker and she had an incredibly strong strength of empathy. And that's not something that is measured by grades, right? Or activities. And so sometimes, whether it's through your career center, I'm sure you offer some kind of, of strengths profile testing, is looking at the things that you love to do and give you energy. And another way, if you don't actually take a test to figure it out, 
look at what you naturally did as a child. And for me, I naturally liked to have a lot of friends. I was kind of a, a leader. I liked to hang out with other people. And that wasn't something measured in school, but something like becoming an RA was such a good fit because I liked that kind of leadership. I like to babysit. And that was probably really good training for being an RA. So look at what comes naturally to you. And that has value in the marketplace in a way that sometimes we don't see portrayed in a GPA. Does that make sense? No, I love that. You're really just reinforcing a lot of what our career coaches tell students all the time. Because we get a lot of students that they just feel like they're not good at anything and they're comparing themselves to other students or maybe they didn't get that grade and it just everything just gets piled on and I love that word languishing because it just like you gotta snap out of that and like there is definitely a strength and I just met with a student last Friday and we were talking about this and what his strength is he's like oh that's my hobby I'm like well <laughs> That's awesome. Then make your hobby your career. And, you know, just a lot of things. He never ever thought of that. He's like, because that's just always been my thing I do over here and not the goal of the focus of his academics. And no surprise, his academics aren't as strong as he thought they'd be because he's languishing in all of the work. So, a um, couple other things. Um, this I took from your book, because this is something we hear all the time, this question. How do you get a job without experience and get experience without a job? Because students come in so frustrated, like, how do I do that? It's so annoying because so many entry-level jobs require experience when they know perfectly well that these are not people who have been working for 20 years. So I find it really irritating. I think there is actually a movement away from that. So I will say, I think even, you know, um, companies, obviously this wouldn't apply to your students, but, you know, companies that are saying you don't even need a college degree sometimes when that used to be the default. So what I would say is to really drastically expand your definition of the word experience. And Sue, it goes exactly to what you just said, which is being in a club is an experience. Working part-time is an experience. Mowing lawns is an experience. Taking a class is an experience. So was it full-time paid employment? No, but wouldn't you say that my experience being a babysitter was relevant to being an RA, right? So if you learn to characterize your experiences in life, as experience and take away that idea that things have to be paid, I think that's a good step. Now that said, people do want to know that you have some affinity for what it is you want to do. And that could just simply be interest and passion. So let's say that you are really, really interested in going into marketing, but you haven't done anything in marketing. I think it would be a really smart idea to join the marketing club or take a marketing class or take a free Udemy or LinkedIn learning or Coursera course. Because if you tell me, yeah, I really like a job in marketing. Well, you know, tell me what experience you have if you haven't even watched a TED talk about it, then I'm kind of not believing you that you're interested. So you do have to put in effort, which doesn't necessarily have to mean you've been paid to do something. So I think that is actually incredibly important. If you have the interest, if you're gonna to apply to something, show me that you're actually serious about it. And I would count that as experience. No, it kind of ties into why 
you're passionate about what you do because you learn like you got to go try it now once you go try it you can go talk about it and you know hopefully it was a great experience but if it's not then you can learn like eh, i really don't want to be in marketing and can i say how valuable that is i love to write and talk and now i'm a writer and a speaker but i didn't know that was a career so everybody used to tell me i should be a lawyer you like to write you like to talk you like to write like you talk and my dad was really smart. He started like forwarding me articles about law, whether it was Supreme Court or maybe there was like a lawsuit. He would say, hey, Lindsay, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, check this out. And I would read a paragraph or two and say, oh, God, this is so boring. I have no interest. And he said, hmm, just a thought, but maybe you don't want to be a lawyer. So it is, think how much time that saved me. I could have taken the LSAT and paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to law school. I'm so grateful that I tried it first walk into a law firm of a friend you have who's a paralegal and see if you like it. I think we make these mistakes because we don't actually try something to see if it's a good fit. I think trying something and realizing you hate it is an excellent outcome. Take a class, go to a club, volunteer, and then you can check it off your list forever. I've never thought about being a lawyer again. And I'm grateful for that because it would have been on my mind if I hadn't tried it. No, and that's great so career for those who want it, but it wasn't a fit for me. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, I still remember a student that he got his dream internship at JP Morgan Chase, which is a fantastic company. And he worked really hard to get it. And he's calling me like mid-August, you know, he got the offer and I'm like, yay, I'm so happy for you. And he's like, I could just tell by the tone in his voice. He's like, I hated it. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, I just didn't know I had to sit in a cube ball day. And in my head, I'm like, well, what did you think you were going to be doing as an intern at JP Morgan Chase? Again, great company. And he ended up, you know, we had a lot of talking and, you know, just really got into the nitty gritty because there was a lot of, you know, pressure from home. It was a great paying job, all that. Uh, he ended up not taking it and ended up in a consulting gig with another really great company but he wasn't in the, a cube every day, all day. He just, and to me, I, I just never thought like, maybe you really should think, I now tell students, think about what you're going to be doing all day, every day. You got to do the work and it might look glamorous, but if that's not- You might not know till you try it. I think what a fabulous outcome and good for him for being honest yes, and saying, yes. I don't like this because then it opens up that job for somebody who that is a good fit for. Thank you, hundred percent. So what do you think people struggle with about going from college to career? I think one of, there are two really big challenges I see, there are many, but two stand out to me. One is this fear of making a mistake and fear that if I choose one path, I'm closing off the other millions of paths that I could have done. And I, I hear a lot of people say, well, I just want a path that will open me up to more opportunities and keep my options open. At a certain point, you can't have all of your options open for your entire life. And so commitment to a choice is a very hard thing to do when you have a lot of opportunity. And so I think you have to see each stop on your career path as a learning experience and an opportunity to recalculate. I use that word really deliberately. Like when you're driving in your car, and you make a turn, even if it's a wrong turn, okay, now we have information that that was the wrong turn. So now we're going to go the other way. So if you don't worry so much about committing to one path that you're going to stay on a straight line forever and think about, well, I'm going to constantly reassess and reevaluate and recalculate as needed. I think it takes that pressure off that you have to pick one thing 
for the rest of your life. So I think that's one. I think the second you brought up, which is comparison. There are a lot of people who go into a fabulous job, really high paid right away, and they love it. And it's very hard not, not to be envious of people who find their path more quickly or make a lot of money. And so I think the hardest thing, but it's so important, is to stay true to yourself and really think about what it is that you want. Now, that said, sometimes envy can be a catalyst, which is, huh, Sue seems to really love her job, seems so fantastic. Instead of saying, I hate you, Sue, because you seem happy and I'm not, I could say, huh, Sue, tell me about how you found that path. What steps did you use? And so if you kind of, you know, reimagine people you're jealous of as role models, I think sometimes we can learn a lot about those people. And I'll give you an example. Uh, when the pandemic hit, I lost a lot of business. I, I make my income from public speaking and writing, and there wasn't a lot of that going around. And I had a colleague who was also a speaker, but she was also an adjunct professor at a couple of universities. And I said, oh, well, that work isn't going away. I should have thought of that. Why did she think of that? And I didn't. I'm so jealous of her. You know, you kind of get in that crazy space as I still do, even though I teach this stuff. And so I called her up and I asked her, you know, how, how did you do those jobs? You know, how did you get that? You know, I thought, oh, she's magic. She's better than I am. And she said, I applied for a hundred positions and I got two. And I said, oh, she did the work. Oh, it wasn't magic. This stuff doesn't happen because a genie showed up out of a, you know, a bottle and told you what to do. She did the work and I could do that too. And now I have a plan if that's what I want to do. So think about staying in your own lane. But when you feel that envy, talk to people and find out what it took to get there and see if that might be a good strategy for you. It really, again, comes back to action. Now, the two things you hit on are exactly what we see 99% of the time. And I love your analogy of recalculating with, you know, if you'd make the wrong turn, if you're driving type of thing, because I think so many students, they're so afraid to make that turn or make that, you know, commitment that they get stuck and do nothing. <laughs> so I'm like, get out of the ditch. It's time to move. Like you got to try something. And, you know, I work very diligently to put a plan together for each individual student because that's the other piece. My path's different than your path. And your friend that's now doing the teaching that did the work to get the positions, I mean, her thought process and path was different. So, okay. So next question. So we talk about this college to career. So what advice would you give students starting their career? And then also backing it up a bit to the students starting their first internship. So I really encourage you to kind of be a sponge and soak up as much as you can from an internship or a first job. And that is everything. That is meeting as many people as you can, building those relationships, listening and watching how people handle interactions, even chit chat in the hallway or how people behave on a Zoom call. How does somebody interrupt in a meeting in an appropriate way? How does somebody send an email giving you bad news, but you don't feel so bad and they did it in a really tactful way? Really watch and learn everything as if you are kind of like a visitor from another country and you're learning the ways of that culture. I think sometimes we stick to our work and say, well, I'm gonna sit and do this assignment, but there's so much going on around you that has so much value that you're learning without kind of realizing that you're learning it. And I would look around and say, huh, I really admire that person. I'm gonna watch that person and learn. 
that looks really interesting. I'm going to look and learn a little bit more about that. So in this case, I would say don't stay in your lane. Really use it as an opportunity to get as much out of it as you possibly can. And you might not even realize what it is that you're learning how to do and learning what you like. See it as a total experiment. I went abroad to Australia for two and a half years and it was like, oh, this is almost like learning as much as I can and seeing what I like and I don't like and trying stuff. And I almost felt like I had this opportunity because I wasn't at home in the United States. I could be more experimental, but then I thought, why can't I be more experimental all the time? Try stuff, give it a shot. And I encourage you to, to go to the meeting that you wouldn't normally go to. Go to the event that you wouldn't normally go to. Volunteer for the committee that you wouldn't normally volunteer for. You have so much around you, use it to your advantage as a learning experience. I think every internship and job can almost be like grad school, right? Consider it a learning opportunity. And I, I know that probably sounds very Pollyanna-ish, but if you learn what you like and don't like, you then apply that to your next job and your next job and your next job. And that's how you really find stuff that you're passionate about and really good at. No, I love that. So now you're in this environment where you're the new, you know, the class of interns or the entry level hires. How do you encourage students to stand out and build that confidence so that they do stand out? So you really want to think about what you want to be known for, um, which sometimes we call personal brand. And while you might think everybody wants the same image, they don't. You might want to be known as a really good writer. You might want to be known as a really personable employee. You might want to be known as a leader. Somebody else might want to be known for being really diligent. Somebody else might want to be known for being really analytical. So a little exercise that I do with people just starting a job is write down three words that you want to be known for. And what I mean by that is if you overheard colleagues talking about you and saying, hey, describe Sue, what would you want them to say? What would you want to hear about yourself in a professional context? And then I'm not saying use those words like, hi, I'm Lindsay, I'm diligent and creative, because that's weird. Do things that will make people talk about you in that way. So if you want to be seen as creative in a meeting, you might say, hey, I have kind of a different way of looking at this. What do you think? Or if you want to be seen as diligent, make sure at the end of the day, you always say to your boss, anything else you need? I just want to make sure I got everything done today. So if you think about taking actions on behalf of the image you want to create, that is going to give you that perspective. And I've done this exercise thousands of times and people always have words that they want to be known for. Even if you don't want to know what your career is, you have a sense of the, the reputation that you want to build. So I really think it's important to be as deliberate about that as possible. And it might change every year. It might change with every job. But right now, one year from today, what do you want people to say about you in your annual review and do things that will build up that reputation and really have confidence that everybody doesn't want the same things. It kind of goes to that idea of strengths. Let's talk a little bit about confidence. How do you help students gain the confidence they need to succeed? And that's such a, a broad question because, you know, define success, you know, define confidence, all of that. I do think that there are tangible things you can do to build confidence. And to me, it kind of goes back to what you're good at as a student, which is do your homework. So if I'm gonna walk into a meeting with a potential client or a job interview, I'm gonna do my homework. 
I'm going to follow that company on social media. I'm going to look that interviewer up on LinkedIn. I'm going to read about the industry. I'm going to look at their about us page and any words or terminology I don't understand. I'm going to Google them so that I know what I'm walking into. Make sure that for any situation where you can be prepared, you are prepared. You won't be able to answer every question perfectly. You might still have jitters, but to me, it's the difference between walking into a physics exam when you've gone to every class, you've studied, you've done the homework, you've gone to the office hours, the professor, when you take the exam, you might be nervous and you might not get a hundred, but you're calm and you're confident and you know your stuff versus if you never go to class and you want to wing it on the exam, you're nervous. So, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and people ask, you know, how are you not nervous? I get excited but I'm confident that I've done the work to know my stories, know my details, have done research on the client to see what they want. And even if I'm not perfect, I know I have a baseline of confidence. So do as much as you can to be prepared in any situation where you might be nervous. And I think it gives you that, that base that even if you have butterflies is not gonna derail you. No, and I always bring that back to like when students go to career fairs and the one that just walks in green quickly realizes they will never do that again <laughs> because it just, you don't have to know everything, but it's just knowing what you know just gives you that confidence to be able to stick your hand out and introduce yourself. It's that simple, um, but not being prepared. We, we talk about that a lot. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the multi-generational workforce. Any tips on how to navigate that and maybe even explain it a little bit because I don't think a lot of people realize that there are six generations potentially in your first position and you know that can be daunting. Yeah, the reason for that, and you're right, we have five generations in the workplace, six in our society if you count young children. The reason is people are working longer. So we have a lot of people who are putting off retirement um, into their 70s or 80s and beyond. And what that means is, to exactly your point, you might walk into a job where your colleagues are 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than you, given um, a traditionally aged student. So I think, number one, you have to be aware of that. Have confidence that you can handle it because we're all members of families and families have lots of different generations. But you have to show a level of respect and understanding that people from different generations sometimes, not always, sometimes have different perspectives. And my favorite way to think about it, you don't want to stereotype. You don't want to say, oh, you have gray hair, so you don't understand technology. That is not an assumption that you want to make. But you want to be aware that people have had different experiences. And so I love the term that a tech executive named Gina Pell came up with. And she says, you want to be a perennial as opposed to like a millennial, you wanna be a perennial. And a perennial knows their history and keeps up with the times. So if you're going into a company that you know has been around for a hundred years, know the history of that company. If you are going into architecture and you use CAD software for your design, know that people used to use a pencil and understand a little bit about how that works. If you are going into um, a financial services firm or a fintech firm, know that people used to trade stocks by phone instead of doing it online and, and have some information, maybe read a book about that, know the history. And keeping up with the times means very quickly, there's gonna be a generation younger than you and you can't block out that technology changes and life changes and things are different. So I see it kind of as cultural differences as if people from different eras are almost from different countries. I think you could agree that 
You know, the United States in 1940 is different than the United States today. And so it's like meeting somebody from another culture. You know, we're human beings and we have a lot in common, but there are also some differences in how we communicate or how we see the world. And you just want to be aware of that and know that how you communicate, how you gather information, how you view your career, how you get your work done might be different, might, not always, might be different from someone of a different generation. So show respect, show curiosity, um, particularly for people who've been in your industry a long time, there's a lot to learn. I was speaking, architecture came up, I was speaking to a student who said that one of her mentors showed her how to do something by pencil. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's such a different view of how to consider this challenge. And it makes you more valuable to understand all generational perspectives. So I encourage everyone to think like a perennial. Oh, I love that. And I love your example of that, you know, architect uh, showing her with, by pencil. I came from the public accounting world back when, before technology, we had audit bags and just like, we have so many great stories, but I was fortunate to, I did a lot of self-research on multi-generational workforces because I needed to train our partners like to accept the younger people coming in. And it ended up, it, to me, it was beautiful. They actually loved having interns and like the young, new entry-level people, it kind of just breathed life into the firm. And, you know, that's now the norm. Um, back then, I was part of the beginning of internship programs. That's now I'm saying how old I am, but it's something that it really is like giving back to the industry and also for that young millennial to be able to like be respectful, but they too learn so much. It's something like, why would you want all that knowledge to walk out the door? And as you said, like some people are working into their seventies cause they really like what they do. And why wouldn't you stay? <laughs> You know, and we all benefit from all the different perspectives. Companies that are more diverse have better outcomes. So, you know, as early as you can, expose yourself to people who are very different from you. I'm a, a woman, a white woman in my 40s who lives in New York. If all I hung out with were white women in my 40s live in New York, I don't think I would change and grow and be very innovative in my career or my life. I mean, that's part of the reason I love doing this work with students, as I'm sure you do too. There's so much to learn from people who are different and I don't wanna stay stagnant and no organization wants to stay stagnant. So I think that also can give you confidence early in your career that you're perhaps bringing a perspective that is really helpful. You have to respect other perspectives, but they'll respect yours in return. And, and we all have value, even if you've only been in the job for a day. Oh, I love that too, because uh, it's true, only if it is a day. So I have another question from your book. This was one you answer. How can someone persist without being a pest? <laughs> I constantly tell students that you have to be your own advocate. I had one recently, they're struggling in a certain class and they're working with a tutor. And I'm like, well, did you try this resource we have in another space on campus? And they're like, no, because they kind of felt like, well, I'm with this tutor. I'm like, you have to advocate for yourself. If you're still not getting it, just respectfully tell that tutor, you're gonna try another one. You're just, something's not clicking. So how do you be persistent without being a pest? 
I think you got it exactly right, which is persistence is so important, but you can't be annoying. And what's annoying is doing the same thing over and over again. And I, I think was it Einstein who said, you know, the sign of, of uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If you keep sending an email to follow up on a job application and you don't hear back, that's not a smart persistence strategy. That's not persistence. If you apply for 10,000 jobs, on LinkedIn and you don't get a job, that's not the right strategy. So to me, persisting in an effective way is trying different angles. So if I sent you an email and you didn't respond, I'd probably wait two weeks and send another email. If you didn't respond, I might try voicemail and think maybe she doesn't check her email or maybe she's too busy. I might try LinkedIn. To me, three strikes and you're out. If you persist three times and you don't get a response, it just wasn't meant to be. If you really, 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 as you said, the student who wanted to join JP Morgan Chase and you apply for 37 jobs, okay, applying didn't work. Let's try going to a career fair. Let's try going through the career center and trying an alum. Let's try, it's almost like a, a building with many doors, right? If you don't get into one door, try the next door. Don't keep trying at the same door. And know that sometimes it's not the right time. It's not the right opportunity for whatever reason, maybe no fault of your own. It's just not gonna happen. And that's why I have kind of the, the street three strikes and you're out rule. But, you know, once or twice persisting is really important, but try different methods, try different approaches so that you're persisting in new ways. It also gives you new tools in your toolkit for the next time that, that you have to persist. But a lot of stuff doesn't happen the first time. And I really worry when people give up and lose confidence because they tried one thing and it didn't work, you know, you're going to have to be able to, to try. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, there was an article that I loved. Um, it was a, a woman who said she was a freelance writer and she said she set a goal one year to get a hundred rejections for her writing. And the reason was if she submitted over and over and over and had this kind of silly goal to get rejections, if she got accepted, she'd be thrilled because she got accepted. If she got rejected, she was still happy because it counted toward her list of 100 rejections. So what does that mean? It means she kept trying and she didn't have so much drama about whether it was a yes or a no. It was a numbers game. It was a persistence game. And I thought that was such a great strategy to take the pain and suffering and ego out of it and just keep going. No, I love that. And it's even what you said about all the different doors, you know, I just pulled a visual of here's the company and you want to work there. There's more than one way to get in. So it doesn't have to be through that portal that you applied and got rejected from. Now it's like working your network and, you know, trying again, maybe it just wasn't meant to be like timing is so key. I remember again, I'm picking on JP Morgan today. I was physically there with a group of students and one student was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I just got rejected. Um, what do I, do I, do I say anything, you know? So at our table was an alum that started working there a couple of years ago. And he told that student, I applied five times on the fifth time they hired oh. me. But it was all, then we brought that up to the recruiter that was, you know, doing the presentation. And he's like, every time you apply, it's a different applicant pool. So you have to just keep trying. Don't give up because this person easily could have walked away and said, oh, they don't like me, <laughs> but different applicant pool. So, okay. So what do you think is next in this college to career space? And, you know, how can career services centers across the country help our students uh, get ready for what's next? 
So we're in this really weird in-betweeny kind of situation. I call it the messy middle of the pandemic where it's kind of over, but it's not really over, but we don't really know what's coming next. And I think that a lot is in flux and that is kind of a scary uh, perception because we don't know exactly how companies are going to be recruiting talent, but that's also an opportunity. So I think some companies are probably going to go much more broad and have huge virtual events where they may be recruited every college in America. And I think other companies are going to go super niche and say, you know, we're going to get really, really personalized at a couple of schools. The problem is you don't have a, any control over what a company decides. So my strategy is to kind of go a little bit old school and say none of that matters because the single best way ever to get a job at any stage of your career is to have a human being recommend you to another human being. I had a recruiter who said to me, I have two stacks on my desk. He said, I have a stack of resumes that comes in from the internet and it's a mile high. And I have a teeny weeny little stack of resumes that come in from people I know and trust. You want to be in the teeny weeny stack. You want a human being to say, I know this person, I vouch for this person, that's trust. And so no matter what happens with virtual recruiting and virtual interviews and robo interviewing and virtual reality and all of this stuff, relationship building, going through your career center, working with your alumni, showing up in person at events when you have the opportunity, connecting one-on-one -on -one with other human beings is going to be your single best strategy. So I would quadruple down on that. And then you're much less at the whims of how a company chooses to do their very large recruiting. Okay. I love that. So as we're getting close to the time here, is there anything you'd like to share about college to career that I may not have asked you about? Yeah, it just occurred to me. I'm so glad you asked. I, I know some students say, well, I don't know anybody, or I'm a first-generation college student, or nobody in my family works in business. That's okay. That's where the preparation comes in. I, I worked with a student um, who had, uh, he was first-generation college student. His parents were not um, in a professional field, and he felt um, really challenged by that. And so he tripled down on the research preparation piece. And at one point he saw that a leader from a company that he was really interested in was coming to speak on his campus. And so he researched this person, he read his LinkedIn profile, he looked up articles about this person, he watched videos of this person speaking. And at the event where that executive was coming to campus, this first generation student walked up to him and said, hi, my name is such and such. I've done so much reading on you. I really admire what you said about this. I love what you did about that. And the executive was so impressed that the student had done all this work, he said, I would really like to bring you into my company for an interview. He didn't have any connections. He didn't ask the kid's GPA, but because he had done the work, because he had made the effort and shown genuine interest, it really turned the executive to be an advocate for him. So it's not about being important. It's not about being um, connected. It's about doing the work to make the connections that are important to you. And by the way, it's a whole heck of a lot easier to do this while you're still in college and have a career center and alumni at your fingertips. It's a lot harder once you're out in the world. So I'm envious of students listening to this, that you have a very unique opportunity as a student to make those connections in a very authentic way. Yeah. And, you know, with your story, I mean, um, kudos to the young man who would walk up to that executive. I mean, that's not an easy thing Take to some do. Guts. Yeah. But if he's just stayed in his dorm room trying to figure it out, 
how am I going to build a network that doesn't exist? Um, he did the right thing. I love that. So, Lindsay, I thank you so much for answering all my questions. I honestly could talk to you all day. You are just a light. I can't wait to hear you speak again. I hope we're back. I think we're back in person this year at our conferences. But yes, I'll, have, I'll see you there. I hope in June. Yes, yes. So. Good. For me, I think my top takeaway is right from the beginning when you said what you did, you sat in your dorm or you could have and you chose not to. Oh, I did. No, I did for a very long time. <laughs> right. Eating frozen yogurt with rainbow sprinkles and crying. And then it was like, maybe I should get out of my room. And yes. then it worked. Yes. No. And it's something that, you know, even if it wasn't the right didn't feel right at least you did it so i would always give that kudos there and i love the story about the author oh my gosh it's so true uh, yeah i'm gonna get 100 rejections okay i'm up to 50 i can just see her instead of oh my god the weight of the world all of that so anyways everyone thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week with another episode in the meantime in keeping with today's theme give this michael jordan quotes and thought some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, others make it happen. In my opinion, be the others and make it a great week. Thank you, everyone. Bye.